Evan Young, it's good to be here with you today. Everybody, Evan Young is a graffiti artist and a tattoo artist in Austin, Texas, and he's been drawing and painting for over five years. Evan, what came first, the graffiti or the tattoos? Well, I've been doing graffiti for almost 25 years. Uh, so I started back in the 90s. Um, really, everything started for me with graffiti. Uh I think I was like 12 or 13 and I saw the movie Turk 182 with mm -hmm. Robert Rook and uh, Timothy Hutton. And uh, for some reason, I just really liked the graffiti in there, the colors, kind of what was going on. I've always been kind of anti-authority anyways. So I kind of latched onto that. And I remember just really liking that movie, telling my mom, hey, that's so cool. And she went out and found me a book uh, called Subway Art mm -hmm. uh, by Martha Cooper and, and Henry Chiffon which nowadays is uh, like the Bible of graffiti. Like that was What's the first it book. It's called Subway Art. Subway Art. And Subway Art. And it's about the graffiti scene in New York, specifically the all the subway paintings and stuff uh, that they were doing in New York in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. And Martha Cooper's just kind of always been a legendary art photographer that's done a lot with graffiti. But anyways, uh, so my mom picked up that book for me, and I remember just kind of, looking at the letters and the colors. And I remember copying stuff to try to write my own name. And, um, and that just kind of got me into tagging, which a lot of graffiti artists will start off with. And I was probably 14, 15 going around town, writing my name up and then slowly started incorporating the graffiti stuff. And, uh, the more I did that, the, the better I got kind of developed a little bit of my own style. And then really by the, the mid nineties, I was out trying to paint walls and get better. And, and, uh, yeah, that's sort of how I got into graffiti. Yeah. So when you were painting your name, were you painting your, your name or you are also known as curse one and that's the mm -hmm. name that you go by, by the, the graffiti name. Is that what you were painting whenever you were young starting off or was, were you just painting Evan? So every graffiti artist or what we call a writer, graffiti writer, um, has a name that they write. I mean, obviously, if you're going to go paint illegal walls, you're probably not going to put your name up, not your driver's license number. Here's where I live. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. yeah, so you come up with a moniker. Uh, when I first started tagging uh, in uh, probably freshman year of high school, uh, I was I was tagging Sino, S-I-N-O. And uh, I was doing a little bit of graffiti here and there, but honestly, it was all crap at that point. I mean, I was just learning my stuff was shit. So... Yeah. When I started getting a little bit better by probably my junior year of high school, um, I was trying to come up with another name because I kind of wanted to start over again with a new name, a little bit better work. And I think one of my buddies uh, came up with the name Curse. I don't know if it's because I had a filthy mouth or uh, <laughs> they just thought it was a, a cool combination of letters, but they came up with that. And I was like, that's a good name. I don't know anyone else that writes Curse. Okay, cool. So... Uh, so I started writing Curse, and I've been writing it, you know, ever since. So where did the one come from at the end, then? Well, that's a little graffiti thing. It just means that, uh, you know, a lot of writers are added on the end, either saying I'm the original or I go by Curse One. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyone after that is, you know, second, to, you know, second to the best, however you want to look at it. But that's just kind of an old graffiti thing. Okay. So this book, Subway Art, what does that book talk about? Is it, is it like a how-to book? Is it a storybook? How does that, how did that work? Basically, it was just a photo documentary type book of the subway art or the graffiti scene in, in New York City in the early 80s. Um, you know, a lot of the legendary artists that, that started 
uh, graffiti movements, especially in, in the, the New York scene, the East Coast scene, um, like Lee, um, Dondi. I mean, these are guys that have also kind of transcended graffiti art and into the more mainstream for people that are, you know, art connoisseurs or mm -hmm. uh, in art history. Uh, you know, these are names that other people actually might recognize that aren't even in the, the scene. Um, but basically it was just a, a photo documentary type book of all these pictures of the, the painting being done by these graffiti artists. And, uh, it sort of caught fire with, with, uh, graffiti artists, especially in the, the next generation that came along my generation, which was in the nineties, inspired by these guys that started coming up in the late seventies and eighties. So it showed the younger people, like, here's what you could do essentially. Like it showed all the different things that could be done. Like here's what someone at a high level who's got some skills with a spray can, here's what they could do. And then it's like, oh wow. And then that, that probably makes you want to go do more then. And like, yeah, it was just seeing what these cats were putting down in the eighties, what styles they were putting down. And I mean, obviously it was the, uh, the, the infancy of the graffiti art movement. So, you know, the, the letter styles, the coloring, and even, you know, the, the materials they had to work with, you know, back then you only really had two brands of spray paint you could work with, Rust-Oleum or Krylon. So, really? and they were all high pressure cans. So they don't have like a lot of the low pressure cans and so forth they have today. So they were kind of limited in what they were doing, but it was showing what they were doing and how these guys were sort of developing their own style, their own community. Um, a lot of graffiti overlapped with um, early hip hop in the eighties. Um, so you saw kind of a lot of mixing of that. You'd have hip hop shows with graffiti artists, maybe doing some work in the background or, uh, you know, graffiti artists sitting there writing in what we call a black book, which is like your sketchbook, you know, with some hip hop, early hip hop played in the background or something. So there's a lot of overlap of that. And then also break dancing, the, the culture of break dancing in the early 80s, which was hip hop. And then, like I said, also inc incorporated a lot of that graffiti as well. So, so, so whenever, uh, so I have two questions. One is, yeah. what's the high pressure versus the low pressure of spray paint? Okay, so uh, the the early cans were all high pressure. They all had the same pressure levels. Uh -huh. And you'd have a couple different tips you could use. So you have the ones that come with the cans. And then people were manufacturing these tips, which was basically like you had a choice between a skinny cap or a New York fat cap. Uh, and then some German caps kind of came along. But you really had a limited uh, um, palette to work with. You had whatever colors Krylon and Rust-Oleum were putting out and then whatever caps you could come up with to try to control the spray paint flow as much as possible. Nowadays, with the advent, uh, sort of the the popularization of graffiti, street art, um, and things like that, you've got manufacturers that are making spray paint cans specifically for that use. Mm -hmm. And they're making, uh, they still make the high pressure cans if you want a higher flow volume of paint at one time. And that's usually used for like fill-ins, things like that, where you want to cover a large amount in a short time. Then they make low pressure cans now that you can use for anything from small stenciling to usually you'll use that for your outline of your letters and so forth, where you were trying to run a line that's more straight, but go a little bit slower. So you don't get a lot of those drips. Oh man, that seems like I need a, I need a low pressure can. I, I, I have done like, I sprayed a paint a couple of things whenever I was younger. But then after like knowing about how to make paintings, because that's what I do for a living now is make paintings. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I want to try out like spray paint. Because like I see some mural artists who do spray paint and they get it done faster than what I do it. And I'm like, man, yeah. that, especially like going across uh, a fence or something, 
where you have all these, you run a brush across and you'll get these clumps of paint and it'll start to run down yeah. and it takes forever. You have to fill in all the cracks. You're going around buildings. You have to go around like corners and stuff, concrete, brick. It just is a pain in the butt. And so I was like, man, I got I got <laughs> to right. try out this spray paint. And it was so hard. Like I was humbled. I went and did this. I was like, man, this looks like it looked, it, looked, it was just trash. Um, and so, I mean, and that was like, I was using high pressure. I was using Montana yeah. black, which is like good spray yeah. paint. But, yeah, but it was, I think I need that a little bit of low pressure stuff in there because it was just coming out so fast and just dripping everywhere. It was a mess. You know, the funny <laughs> thing is, is that uh, those of us that grew up like in the nineties before the advent of low pressure cans, we end up working a lot faster because we were so used to using those high pressure cans that that's all we know. Mm-hmm. So I find myself using high pressure cans and actually, even when I do low pressure, going really fast, you know, or trying to do a, a where I could go slower if I wanted to, just kind of going fast out of habit. Um, yeah. But yeah, a, a, in a lot of the different tips now that they make uh, for these cans, uh, there's such a variety out there that you can choose, you know, what widths you want, even what um, overspray you want. So if you want, you know, a tiny bit of overspray to give kind of a glow effect or a neon effect, um, you know, you could do that. It's so much out there. But yeah, it's harder to control what people think. It, it takes a little bit more strength to hold that can and constantly yeah. go back and forth uh, trying to get that paint down. And yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's a little harder than people people think. Going back to those origins, though, I was also wondering, the other question was about New York City. So did mm-hmm. you grow up in New York City or did you grow up in Austin or where yeah. where did you grow up at? So I'm from Austin originally. Uh-huh. I, I grew up here. Um, the graffiti scene itself really originated uh in new york city some mm-hmm. people say philly but really it was new york city the bronx uh where it it sort of caught fire and, and then co- sort of fl- floated across the country mm-hmm. developing other cities but austin's austin's kind of an interesting scene in that um it really was sort of a, a homegrown scene here in austin we would take we really weren't looking at a lot of this stuff that was going on back at the beginning in austin uh, on the East Coast and so forth. There wasn't the internet back then. All we would see of other writers were the odds and ends graffiti magazines you'd see, or there were like two or three books out. Subway art being one of them, spray can art was another. Um, so really, the first impetus of um, of graffiti in Austin came from a couple guys, Kane and a guy named Al Martinez. Al was from the East Coast. Uh, these were guys back in uh, it's about ninety. Um, they started painting murals here in Austin, the graffiti, the really early stuff. And that sort of caught the eye of a couple of other dudes. I know like Sloke, who's a buddy of mine and, and even myself, they were seeing a lot of these, uh, graffiti pieces starting to be done. And that sort of lit the fuse on the Austin scene. Whereas guys like myself, Sloke, um, you know, some of my other guys, buddies like Saint and reps and a lot of these other guys, uh, temp or, or jib and stuff came after that. Uh, they sort of took what was going on there and then sort of added to it. And then Austin's scene sort of started really like flowering in the nineties and it actually blew up pretty big to where it was, it was pretty well known in Texas as being a good scene. Um, so whenever it's a good scene, what does that mean? Whenever it's a good scene in a city for graffiti? It means you got a, a several writers uh, that are in that city producing really cool work. Oh yeah. So Whenever, whenever like these artists are spray painting, how are they choosing which wall they they spray paint on? Is it something that they're 
like because you said whenever you start off i guess some of them were doing it like like where they're just spray painting it on places just like uh i guess where they're not getting the building owner's permission but do yeah. they do they eventually transfer over to where they're like spray painting on it for, for people or they do it on trains like where are they getting the ideas of which where do they how do they choose whenever so, they're spray painting it yeah so there are kind of known spots in town or spots that we would find and it's almost like you know if you're fishing fishing spots you know hey you found something that's a really good let's say layup for for painting trains mm -hmm. something where there's not a lot of people around they park the trains not a lot of um you know railroad guys uh you know running the rails so you can kind of safely paint there um, there are certain walls around town that were good walls to paint, nice, clean, flat walls that, you know, didn't have a lot of traffic around or something. So those were typically walls that we would paint, do a little bit more elaborate murals on, a little bit, you know, uh, longer, like theme projects, you know, theme theme uh, uh, walls and things like that versus something that would, you would just try to, to go do something quick on. So it was kind of a mix. I mean, some people prefer doing walls, some people prefer doing freights. Uh, most mm -hmm. graffiti artists, at least at some point, uh, have done both. Um, yeah, I mean, sometimes I'll see a train go by and there's not one car that don't have something on it. It's like, oh, yeah. There's something about the trains and the graffiti where it's like, I don't even know what a car looks like that doesn't have graffiti on it. It doesn't anymore. have it on anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, that's actually, uh, you know, that really came from uh, the idea of painting subway cars in New York because you could be a big deal in your neighborhood, right? But mm -hmm. nobody else around the city knew who the hell you were. So if you went and painted a subway car, that thing would travel around the entire city and you'd have people oh. in the different boroughs seeing your name. And that's how you kind of became what we call all city, you know, where you're painting all around the city. Same thing with uh, freights. You paint a freight here in Austin, that thing will travel around the entire country before it starts to fade or maybe gets painted over or something. So. Mm -hmm. And now, nowadays, we got people that do what's called benching, where they actually just sit out along the railroad tracks and look at the graffiti on the trains going by, take photos of it, things like that, just to see the artwork. You know, because it, if it's just passing through town on a on a on a train, then it's it's momentary. That's the only time you'll be able to see it probably. And there's so much artwork out there, like you said, on trains. It's just yeah, that's a good perspective, though. It's like you know, maybe take a closer look next time because you don't know if you ever see that piece again. So. There might be something that you like that, you know, yeah. that if you just look past it and don't look again, then, you know, you missed it. That might be that that little train link might be gone for forever and you might not ever see it again. Yeah. And that's the cool thing about the Internet nowadays is that you can see this artist's work and you say, OK, I know his name. You know, let's say, oh, I saw a curse one piece. Go on the Internet, search him. You can find, you know, my Instagram or find that artist's Instagram. Check out more of their work, connect with them. Uh, the internet's really brought a, been able to bring a lot of uh, not only artists together, but a lot of uh, people interested in graffiti who may not be writers uh, to sort of have more of a connection to the art itself. And like you ask, ask the kind of questions that, uh, you know, gives them a more of an idea of what the art's about and a better understanding of it. Because I think yeah. most people, it's like what they think about graffiti is, OK, it's a bunch of shit that's colorful, but I can't read it on some place where it shouldn't be. Yeah. Okay, yeah, let's let's talk about the reading of it. I, I do want to talk about the vandalism, too, because I, I want to explore yeah. that. But I want to talk about the reading it, too. About, yeah. like, so that was one of the things that I wondered. Because I guess font is usually the ma the major subject choice of, of I guess, what well, the graffiti artists is. Normally they're doing some sort of font or letter styling. 
And then so one of the things I wonder a lot is if I'll see it, I'm like, man, that looks beautiful. It's got all these gradients. It looks, I was like, but I don't know what it says. And so mm -hmm. I wonder why would someone take the time to paint letters? Then that, that would be hard to read. <laughs> you know, that's actually kind of a funny dichotomy. And I, I think a lot of us think about that too. Um, my particular style is something that if you kind of know what you're looking for, it's almost like the stereograms that were popular back in, what was it, the early 2000s or whatever, where you have to stare into the picture to see the 3D image. Yeah, if you start, yeah. if you, yeah, if you start able to kind of see some of the lettering and you start to sort of be able to differentiate one letter from the other and start to read it, I think it was mostly for the development of style. You know, if I'm a graffiti writer, I want to continue to get better. I want to take maybe what this guy's doing over here that I thought was cool, add that to my repertoire, add my own flair to it, and then, you know, put that up and sort of uh, evolve a little bit. So I think, you know, the early graffiti stuff, it was a lot of like block letters, bubble letters, things like that, much easier to read. Uh, and then that sort of developed style-wise where people wanted to add arrows to it and make it more elaborate, like what you're saying to the point where you couldn't read it and what they call wild style. Nowadays, I mean, there's people that have gotten so into the abstract on their letters that I can't even read it. Um, so it's really just the, 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 the evolution of the style and so forth, getting to a point where the average person's not going to be able to read it, but those of us that are into it can read it and appreciate that. And then if somebody like yourself says, what the fuck does that say? I can say, oh, well, that says, you know, so-and-so, and that's his name, and there's where he's from. Wow. Did that actually happen with, with you know, fine art in Europe when they were abstracting these paintings? And people were like, I can't really tell what the subject matter is anymore. It's, it's been abstracted to a point. And they're like, yeah, some people get it and some people don't. And then, but it's like they were pushing that, they were pushing the boundaries of what you could do with mm -hmm. paint. And, um, and, and that really meant something because... Because you, it was like an exploration of the medium, and it was meant something that that is like this is new that hasn't been done before. Maybe now other people could say, "Oh, you could do that with a brush. Oh, you could do that with a spray can. I never knew you could do that before. I never seen those two colors together before like that." And so, yeah. like, whenever that style starts to evolve, that's what I mean. That's what inspires younger artists because then they're like, "Oh, now there's a variety. There's something different. It's not like because the younger artists they don't want to go necessarily and rehash." everything that's been done before exactly how it's been done i mean there's something where you're like you want to pay homage to the masters and things like that but then after a while it's like you want to make it your own and well so you have to learn so, yeah that's so cool how that happened in graffiti too i mean it, yeah, it you take sense, what though. the you take what the older guys are doing and you mm -hmm. learn from that that's how you learn but the hope is that you get to a point where you obviously you want to get better and you develop your own style i mean to me if you don't want to get better at it why the fuck do you do it um, but that's a good uh, point. <laughs> but I'll be honest, man. I see a lot of stuff out there. A lot of, and and I try not to to diss anybody. I try to be pretty open and cool with everybody because I'm not a big shit talker. Maybe when I was younger, but nowadays I, I think you can find something uh, a positive in everyone's work. But I see a lot of graffiti nowadays that is just not very good, and I think it's because you took a lot of kids that in the old days would have, you know, there were, it was kind of a tight graffiti community. You'd meet people, uh, they'd show you how to do some stuff, maybe sketch in your sketchbook and you learn from that and so forth. Nowadays, it's like anybody can go on the internet, learn a couple things, buy some spray paint and go out and paint wall. And it's shit. You know, there's, there's really no, uh, 
uh, interest in becoming good, becoming better, uh, painting something with purpose or something more than just, uh, you know, an incoherent blob of paint. So is there, is there something that has some underlying meaning or, um, what's the word, uh, like an underlying message or like an underlying meaning behind what you choose to paint or is like something that overlaps the whole entire body of work? Not overly. I mean, basically it was essentially art for art's sake in a way, uh, when people first started doing graffiti, it was essentially a way for these poor marginalized kids from, you know, the Bronx to find some assembly of fame, you know, a way of, of be, being able to become somebody when they didn't have, you know, what a lot, you know, some people would, uh, you know, say are advantages and so forth that would be able to, to get them well known. So it, in a way, it's just your name. It's a way of, of getting fame. It's a way of, uh, showing your work, um, it's really no more different than, uh, you know, the, the guys from World War II riding Kilroy was here or something. It's a way to say, hey, I was here. I did some art. This is my name. This is my style. You know, now some people will put political, um, you know, will put political messages in there. Uh, some people will put, you know, I've seen people put stuff to their 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 loved ones. A lot of times, you'll do a mural and you'll you'll give a shout out to maybe a friend of yours or a fellow writer that passed away. So sometimes there is a bigger message, but most of the time it's just you know art for art's sake, your name. So whenever you're doing this advertising, um, uh, like where it's like you're getting your name out there, you're starting off. Is there a goal in the end of monetization of this of this? projects that of these projects that you're working on or is it more of just like an expression that you're doing and but and money is not necessarily attached to it the banksy effect um you know it's kind of a weird thing it's sort of i think uh, akin to uh the idea of selling out in in the early punk community you have this on one hand you want this purity in the art and you want to be able to say hey you know we're doing this for the right reasons we're doing this because we love the art not, we're not looking for money, you know, but at the same time, it, it, inevitably, if you get good enough, well-known enough, your style um, sort of transcends just the graffiti itself and into more of the mainstream, which is a lot of what we've seen done in the last probably 15, 10 to 15 years, especially where graffiti has sort of become much more mainstream. Um, it's hard for, I think, most artists to say, you know, hey, I'm getting paid two grand to go paint a mural here that'll take me a day uh, and say no to that. So for me yeah. personally, I don't have any disrespect or anything to somebody that's, that, that does legal work, that does paid work. I do it. I do commission pieces and so forth. Uh, you might have some artists that disagree with me, but you know, for the most part, I don't think it's as taboo as it maybe once was. Yeah. So you think in the older days, maybe there was something a taboo about that where, where people were like, looked at as like a sellout or something like that yeah absolutely yeah. yeah that that's a, i think that's a good thing that that's going away though you know because there's been a lot of artists who really probably could have made a living with their with their art and they probably and you know there's maybe a lot of artists who had tragic endings to their story who if the people who are a little older than them had like some like encouragement to hey get out there you know like 
money's not everything but it buys you paint <laughs> you know and so I, like yeah. it'd be nice to have for those kids to have that freedom to like be able to go and and try to explore the business side of things too as opposed to the art but it can i i do see where people would come from is like the more it gets for the money the less it's about expressing yourself and so there's a payoff but and yeah. you know it depends on where your position is in life if you really would like to express yourself and you don't give a fuck about money then go for it but if you got some bills you want to pay and you're willing to sacrifice a little bit of creative freedom then that seems cool too i mean at what point like... do you sacrifice the purity for capitalism for the almighty dollar yeah I mean, you yeah. can look at artists, though, like, um, I mean, some of the early artists that, that sort of took graffiti, what I would call not really graffiti art, per se, or being graffiti writers, but they were doing, you know, essentially graffiti, tagging their names illegally and so forth. Uh, Keith Haring, um, yeah. Jean-Paul, uh, what is it, John Michael Boscott. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got some well-known artists that, that were doing that. Nowadays, there's sort of a divergence, though. Um, between street art and graffiti art or graffiti writers. So, you so know, you'll see- what's the difference? So, well, street artists like Banksy, for example, or um, Shepard Ferry, um, you know, they're doing more street art. It's more political. It's not really the graffiti type lettering. It's not really mm -hmm. about what those of us graffiti writers would say graffiti was about, you know, the initial part of getting fame or, uh, you know, getting up so forth. Uh, it's more about setting a statement or, you know, these are guys with graphic design backgrounds, uh, sort of, or a lot of the street art, actually, that you see murals and so forth. It's pretty. It's beautiful. I love the art, but it's not really graffiti art. And I think that people misunderstand street art and with graffiti art. They say, oh, Banksy's a graffiti artist. No, he's not a graffiti artist. He's not a graffiti writer. Now, if he goes now, technically based on the definition of graffiti is basically just the pluralization of the Italian word graffito, which just means to scratch on the surface. And generally it's considered to be uh, on an illegal surface. So, you know, I guess technically if a street artist goes and paints a wall illegally, it could be considered construed graffiti artist, but I'm not going to call him a graffiti writer. That, that doesn't take sense. away from what they do, but it's, it's kind of different. Are you familiar with calls? Yeah, cause. Yeah, yeah I, watched the, documentary uh, on him I watched a documentary on him a while ago, and uh, it was it was amazing to see his style. And I thought that was interesting. He was the guy who went and took, he would take advertisements mm -hmm. and graffiti over top of the advertisements, but leave the advertisement there, but he would like alter and adjust it. Like, he, like there'd be like a sexy model and yeah. lingerie, and then he would put like ears on, like big bunny ears on her or something, or like a mask yeah. or something, or like X out their eyes. Or, or he would just, you know, like he would draw on top of it. And um, and then now, I mean, that's what, I mean, he does that for a living and people pay him a lots of money for that. <laughs> yeah, and he was doing yeah. those big billboards that were high up that scared the shit out of me because I'm scared of heights. So yeah, he would go up to do those billboards and stuff. Like that, and then he would monetize that uh, by, like you said, doing advertising works. Uh, I think he was doing vinyl figures at one point and, uh, you know, did some merchandising stuff. But yeah, I mean, he's a good example of somebody that became famous and transcended graffiti into more of the mainstream. So what is the difference between vandalism and graffiti? Well, like I said, the definition of graffiti basically is just to mark on a, on a legal surface, really. Mm -hmm. uh, what I would say graffiti art um, or some of the specifically a graffiti writer is more of the design, the style, um, like you said, the lettering, 
the subject matter, which is basically instead of it being, uh, you know, a political statement or um, something with more of a, a purpose-filled, purpose-driven, uh, you know, outcome or whatever, it's it's simply about your name, getting that name up, uh, getting better at the designs and so forth. Maybe incorporating characters into your work, you know, like cartoonish type characters and so forth. Then it is about um, you know, sending any sort of message. So whenever, uh, sorry, I'm just, I'm just trying to, no, no, it's cool. yeah. you know, if you think about it though, too, I mean, graffiti, it didn't start in the seventies with spray paint cans. I mean, you could go all the way back 60,000 years to do it, do it with pictographs brushes. inside the caves. Yeah. Or, or petro, uh, petro, petrographs petroglyphs uh but pictographs inside of caves you know done by cavemen uh simply you know and then take that into you know over time you had hobos that would write their names inside of freight cars you know in, in the early 1900s uh like i said the gis that wrote kilroy was here uh in world war ii i mean there's always been some form of written expressionism to denote this person was here at this time and this was either what was going on or they just want it's sort of i think a human nature thing to seek that immortality when we know we're mortal beings and that's maybe one way to to find that because after i'm gone my art will still be here now how well i'm going to be known or not now nah, that's that's one thing but my art will still be here and maybe somebody 200, 300 years from now, we'll have one of my paintings inside their house and be enjoying it. So whenever uh, artists are painting on the walls, how often did they get caught? Like how often have <laughs> you got caught before? <laughs> okay. Well, I'm 44 now. So my days of running from the cops are probably long gone. I'd probably trip and break a hip or something. Uh, so, you know, it's it's more of a younger man's game, but I would say the vast majority of us started and did most of our work on illegal walls, because you know, especially back uh, in when I was growing up in the '90s, there really weren't a lot of legal walls around town. It wasn't appreciated or seen as a legitimate art form like it is now. There weren't galleries devoting walls to our work or something. So all you had to paint with were illegal walls. Um, and I can tell you some stories. I've been chased by the cops. Uh, I remember one time my buddy Johnny and I were painting under a, a bridge uh, in Austin. And uh, we're just painting. And for some reason, I look up over my shoulder and at the top of the hill is a cop car. And two cops oh, and two cops just watching us, sitting there watching us. I'm like, oh, fuck. So I'm like, hey, Johnny, look, two cops. So we just left our backpacks right there, loaded with spray paint cans and everything. It just took off. And we went kind of up on both sides of the bridge. We split up, kind of hid in the bushes, waited about an hour, literally sitting in the bushes, uh, seeing if the coast was clear and then sort of sneaking our way back down there to see if the cops were still there. And they were gone, but they took all our spray paint and our backpacks and stuff. Oh, damn. Um, yeah, I mean, it happens. You know, that's funny, though. The vast majority of times uh, when we were painting either illegal freights or illegal walls, we didn't get caught. I think a lot of that had to do with the places we chose to paint. Um, you know, a lot of it was painting either at night or early in the morning, less people are out. And then a lot of it is uh, just trying to be smart about how much noise you make and, and where you're going and so forth. So. so a lot of it is like going back to how you choose which building you paint. 
I'm guessing some of it has to be smart of like, obviously don't go paint chase bake, you know, because they got a bunch of cameras. It's like things like well, I'm guessing things like that come into play where it's like, you know, like there's a place out here that's out in the open or those kind of like the prize places. It's like, oh, my God, look who got away with that. Uh, you know, like, I guess you could see it either way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't go paint chase bake anyways because they can afford to clean that up right away. Uh, yeah. I think it's it's a little bit different. It, you know, if you're in a major urban setting downtown and so forth, you're not going to be sitting there painting a mural for, you know, five fucking hours. It's going to be like a quick tag or something like that. Or maybe you throw up what we call a slap or one of your stickers or something on a sign near there. The actual walls where we paint and so forth are, are generally kind of out of the way places, uh, places that aren't easily spotted either by road, highway, under bridges, overpasses. Uh, freight yards where like switching yards and so forth where the, they'll, they'll line up the freights but they're generally not moving a lot of traffic back and forth at one particular time so you generally pick you know good spots you, you know what you're going to have time to work with and that's done through you know just sort of um, uh, going out and, and, sp and checking out spots or going around town we when i was uh growing up we used to catch the the capital metro bus so it was like our uh bus line that would go around town and we'd hop different buses we you know do our little tag or whatever in each of the buses but those buses drove around town and you know as we're riding around town we'd spot oh that looks like a good place where we might be able to paint you know not a lot of visual on on you during the day or something like that and so you'd make mental notes of that and then go back to that place paint so forth and see how it goes so do you worry about the longevity of the works about say, getting covered up by the building owner or by another artist? So we ways to mitigate that. I do want to say too, that there were, um, I don't know so much nowadays with the kids growing up nowadays, cause it is, and I'm going to sound like one of those old men that bitches about the new generation. But <laughs> I, I think that a lot of kids nowadays don't know sort of the rules that we had back in the day that were kind of passed down from the older guys to us. Like I said, they'd go on, you know, these new kids go on the internet, learn a couple of things, then go out and paint. There were mm -hmm. rules on what you could do. Like you, you're, you weren't going to paint a, ch or a church fence. You're not going to paint. Generally, you're not going to paint a business really. Uh, you might paint the fence there. Uh, you might paint uh, like a retaining wall or a city wall around there, uh, walls underneath bridges and so forth that are maintained by the city. You're generally not going to do somebody's business. Uh, you're not going to do someone's personal fence. Uh, you generally don't want to, uh, to, to go after or paint anything that's owned by anybody that can't really afford to clean it up. Um, but with that said, uh, you know, yeah, I, I think the, to some extent, if you paint a really nice piece, you don't want somebody to go over it right away. The old rule was that if you paint something, if, if I was a graffiti writer and I wanted to paint at that same spot that somebody already painted at, I needed to paint something better than what was there. And if you don't paint something better than what's there, the person who had that piece there before, let's say somebody had a really nice piece, I go up and throw up a piece of shit on there. They're gonna have they're gonna then have beef with me. And that's gonna be something where they're gonna try to look for me and ask, hey, why did you disrespect my piece with your ugly shit? And you need to at that point not necessarily be ready to defend yourself physically, but you need to be able to explain yourself and you know, word will spread through through the kind of graffiti community and so forth. That this guy's a toy. He's going around spray painting ugly shit over, you know, good artist pieces and so forth. So you really don't want to do that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a perfectly reasonable question, too. It's like, why the fuck are you covering up my artwork with some... With some nasty-ass shit, yeah. Yeah. 
So, so is there any other ethics? Because I was going to, I was trying to think about asking you about like ethics and and codes in the in the community of graffiti artists, and you kind of laid most of them out already. But is there any other ones of what that of like I guess like the code of um, yeah like like, like um, honor amongst thieves, the code of the pirates, you know things like that. You know, it's kind of it's funny to think about that too. The sort of the dichotomy of ethics in a code when you're you know vandalizing someone else's property or or doing what you're not supposed to be doing. Um, I think mostly it was just you know uh, don't disrespect another artist uh, unless you have a reason to. Don't paint over a nice piece with ugly shit. Uh, you know, don't go. Don't mess with a church at all. Uh, you know. So why was it, why? What would it be for the reason for not messing with a church? Would they say why, or would there just be? It's a, it's a respect thing, um, and even those artists that weren't necessarily religious would respect that because other artists might be. I think it's just a respect thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I wouldn't do it. I don't know, just because I feel like if I can find some sort of justification for painting this wall owned by the city that's maybe just a retaining wall i might be able to find some justification for illegally painting this wall to find justification for painting on the fence of a church or even worse tagging the side of a church i mean honestly if i if i met that guy on the street i might kick his ass for that yeah just because it's pretty fucked up you know that yeah and i see that like we were down i was down in miami for the first time have you ever seen like the the graffiti in miami yeah, yeah, they had a really nice graffiti scene. In fact, they just opened a museum of graffiti down in Miami Beach. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't went there yet, but like it's like they're somewhere in Wynwood or something. But uh, we saw a lot of the graffiti around it, mm-hmm. and I was blown away at all of the, all of the. I mean, because it wasn't just text. There was pictures. There mm-hmm. was, and there was stuff I had never seen before. Just like all different types of new styles. It was crazy. And there were some parts of town where it's just like everywhere, like all over. And there were some parts of town where, um, like, where it's like, oh, okay, it wouldn't really matter here because this is, you know, like they're it's developed. But then there was other parts where I'm like, where like it'd be on the side of a school, you know, and you could tell like they've tried to cover it up like three or four times. I'm like, oh man, like, uh, you know, how how do people how do they fix that problem of because I think you know the kids need something to paint on. Um, yeah. And so like, but. And I think things like the graffiti museums and stuff like that, where it's they're giving people options, like they're giving artists options to come down, like, hey, paint a mural for our museum and stuff like that. Like, that's cool. But I always wonder, like, now how do you solve the problem of the kids who don't know what walls to paint on and which walls not to well, paint on? Yeah, and I think the first thing is to, to know the differentiation between a graffiti artist, which is what we call a writer, and mm-hmm. like a tagger or even gangs that do graffiti tagging and so forth, they're not going to be artists. They're not going to paint an artistic mural, but they're going to throw their name and their gang signs or whatever up on that school and so forth. So I think it's, it's, it's important to know the difference between the two, as far as being able to curb a lot of that, there's very little you can do to curb a lot of that. That's already ingrained into, especially the gang culture and so forth of marking your territory, uh, taggers, you know, just kids. And, and then a lot of us started as taggers. And I know it might be somewhat. What is a tagger? So a tagger is just somebody that's not necessarily an artist that doesn't really do graffiti art, but maybe can do just their name and and maybe in a a little elaborate style or something like that. Uh, They Mm -hmm. can just paint, you know, like a quick signature almost. Uh, And that's all they can do. Um, And they go around and do it everywhere. And I know that there's a bit of hypocrisy in that, that a lot of graffiti artists and writers 
got into that through tagging, but at the same time, we can look back and say, hey, that's not right. Or even say there were certain places we didn't tag back in the day that these kids are doing nowadays. I would say a, a school fence, I would probably say no on that. Um, and, and a lot of schools nowadays are, are letting artists come in and, and paint murals on the side and so forth because another rule is, you know, like we were talking about, you don't want to paint over something that's already beautiful with your ugly shit. You know, if you do, if the school sponsors, you know, uh, I don't know, a neighborhood organization or so forth to do a really cool mural on a wall there, you know, Tagger's not going to want to come over and spray paint over that. And if he does, his homeboys are probably going to come back on him and say, dude, why did you do that, you asshole? You know, you ruined a really nice yeah. mural. So. Yeah, I see pictures of like ancient Rome and stuff with spray paint on it. I'm like, oh my God. You know, this, this is like a thousand, two thousand year old building yeah. or something. And, and it has been like, you know, but I guess if it lasts another two thousand, maybe the rain will wash it off or something. There's <laughs> always some assholes out there that just want to, um, what was it in, in the, uh, the Dark Knight or whatever, where the, uh, I'm trying to remember which character was, Alfred says to uh, Bruce Wayne, you know, there's just some people that just want to see the world burn. There's always going to be those assholes out there that are just going to want to go disrespect anything and everything, have no morals, have no code, you know, and as far as key, um, what you can do to curb that, there is very little because in order to prosecute something like that, you actually have to catch that person in the act, even on video cameras here in Austin. If you catch somebody on a video camera uh, doing a, an illegal um, you know, tagging a wall or something like that. And you can actually even identify that person, which is hard enough. But you, let's say, you know, you recognize that person as being so-and-so, you can identify them. It's still the police here. Generally, you're not going to go after that person because it's A, not worth their time. B, they got bigger problems. C, they're already underfunded and undermanned anyways. And what are you going to get out of that prosecution? You know, four days of community service at the park picking up dog shit. So there, yeah. there's very little, I mean, you know, there, I've seen products out there. Some people try to put, um, you know, I've seen people put Vaseline on walls to curb paint. I think there are products out there that, that are paint, uh, that you can like roll paint on something and they say is uh, graffiti resistant. I think really the, the only thing that I've ever seen somewhat work is when a, a, uh, a city department or when somebody actively paints over graffiti as soon as possible on a very uh, consistent basis, at some point that tagger or that uh, person is going to say, it's not worth my time and move on. But yeah, I, I've heard uh, people use boat varnish before. Oh, really? Like, um, yeah, because like boat varnish, that's uh stuff that is meant to beat up water and keep off, like keep the boats. I've never heard that going. one. Yeah. So apparently the, the paint just like beads up and rolls off and then it won't really stick very well. Um, so I don't know how, how often that's used. Cause it's like, I think it's like $180 a gallon or something. My like guess is probably not that expensive. often at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they actually are coming out with stuff now. Like, cause we'll tell building owners sometime, like if they have a problem where people be spray painting and they're like, you know, like, Hey, I need, I want something on the wall, but you know, like we don't like someone put something obscene there and we keep painting it back up and keeps covering up. So there's a product now that I forget what it's called, but I think a couple of different companies have it. I mean, like Sherwin Williams, but it's it's similar to that boat varnish, but it's at a more reasonable value. It's called like I think like graffiti proof or yeah. like tag proof coating or something like that. Um, 
which for mural artists, I think sometimes like, especially if it's an area where it has a lot of spray paint all around it, it's like, I think that's worth it to take the extra step. And, and I think that there's some artists in Miami who I noticed who like, I think do that with their, mm. like if they'll take the time to do something really like to put a lot of effort in, they're like, I don't want some asshole kid come over and spray paint over it. So they'll like put a varnish and seal it to try to keep it yeah. as long as possible. I can see that more on like commission pieces and so forth. I can't see your average rider going down to a wall to spray paint, you know, a, a mural on a, you know, a wall under a bridge and taking a big thing of varnish with him. But uh, yeah, that would take a lot of extra time and a lot of extra money on their part. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, I can see that. Uh, I, got, I got a good friend, though. She does murals uh, with the group and uh, they pay they do paid commission work. And we're talking like three, four five story buildings and they do these giant murals oh, hell yeah. and they use spray paint. But it's not really, you know, like graffiti writing. It's like a lot of what you talked about, the mural work that, that uses spray paint uh, primarily or even a corporate spray paint with some brush work and so forth. And then we're even seeing that, too, uh, in in actual graffiti writing now as a lot of these writers. Um, and especially nowadays, you've got writers that uh, actually have um, design degrees and, and fine arts backgrounds and so forth that are producing some amazing graffiti stuff incorporate brushes and, and different, uh, uh, you know, tools and stuff like that into, into their work. But, uh, yeah, as far as the varnish stuff, um, Hey, you know, if it protects some really pretty murals from some asshole defacing them, I'm all for that. Cause we don't so like to about... see that dumb shit anymore than, you know, you guys like to see it. So. Dude, I, I completely agree. Yeah. And, and there's something like I do, like, I want to talk about tattoos yeah. too, but but I got I know a couple more questions about graffiti because I've actually I've been wanting to talk to graffiti artists for a while now because I mean especially actually really after visiting Miami that really changed my ideas about graffiti because I remember seeing like there were some tags that I would just see everywhere in the city mm -hmm. and um, there were some like symbols like there was the one of like the orange or like the apple or something it was like a yeah it was like a big orange um I forget what that guy's name was but I saw Adam. those. I think it's Adam, A-T-O-M yeah. or yes, Atomic yes, or something. Yes. Atomic maybe? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Atomic. And and so that was like right outside of the building where we were staying. Mm -hmm. There was big, there was um, a huge size of buildings. I mean, it was everywhere. It was like, it, like, it was like whenever I seen it, I thought like there must be 10, 15, 20 artists. Well, think about what you just said too in that. Hey, I was in Miami and I saw a big orange and right. And immediately I knew it was a tonic, you know, think about that. So that's kind of what it's about, you know, uh, but yeah, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead with your question. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean, but yeah, no, that's exactly what it was about. And it was so exciting. And then there'd be walls of like, um, cause we were like staying right out outside of Wynwood. And so like, we could kind of like, you could kind of just see out there for forever where like they're building all the new stuff. And so when you go down and walk around, they'll have all these old buildings that they tore down and they were building new taller buildings. And so like, and those like kind of like ruinous era areas, it's just full of, of graffiti tags, spray paint murals. Mm -hmm. But the, it's, but the crazy thing is, is there were so many different styles. Like you would see letters here, a picture here, mm -hmm some like gang symbol here and then it would just go on and every single page would be different and it would be, it would be like you know just walking down and the street and every single scene would be just something so dramatically different and some of it looked like trash but some of it was just like mind-blowingly good in the original yeah. and um and and it was just that really opened up my eyes to it about like 
that there's so much more to it than uh, than just because like around here and in, in my hometown in Maryland, there isn't. I'm not aware of any good talented graffiti artists. Like like there's like kids drawing dicks on the walls, <laughs> and that's about all we got here. There's not a good. There's not a graffiti scene around here at all. <laughs> are they? They're they not. No. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're sad dicks. <laughs> they're sad dicks. We need better dicks out yeah. there. We need people to draw better dicks. Yeah. Um, yeah, they need to have a, a better, they need to just have a more creative aspect, you know, so original. <laughs> yeah, don't go straight. Do the dick on the side. Do the balls from the side. Put a yeah. little 3D effect in there. Um, no, I mean, yeah, it's, it's as far as what goes up, there's always going to be good. There's always going to be bad. Um, like I said, it's sort of that evolution of style as well. Um, there's always some value, I think. You know, even if I go out and see like something a new kid's putting up, you know, if I know somebody's just starting on graffiti, I'm going to give them a lot more slack than somebody, um, you know, that's been doing it a while. I'll, I'll give you an example. There's a guy here in Austin. I'm, I don't want to say his name, uh, but he's been doing graffiti probably about, I'd say about eight or nine years now. And he gets up quite a bit, which means, you know, you see his his work up quite a bit. And in that eight or nine years, his style hasn't evolved at all. It's still rough around the edges. It's still, you would expect somebody to, to grow and to evolve uh, and, and get much better over that time period. At least some, some marginal, uh, 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 you know, improvement. Uh, but yeah. his stuff's still the same. And to me, if I go out and see his stuff, he's, I'm not going to diss him. I'm not going to say, you know, start shit just to start shit. But to me, it's like, that makes less sense than the crap that I see from somebody that just started painting. I'm going to give that dude a lot more slack. And I, I would be more apt to say to that guy, Hey, you know, um, is there anything I can help answer for you? Anything I can kind of show you? I saw that you did your letter this way. Have you ever thought about maybe switching it up and doing it this way instead, maybe give them pointers and so forth. Um, so there's always going to be good. There's always going to be bad. You take it with a grain of salt. There's uh, all sorts of places now that, uh, have become sort of safe havens for writers and people doing graffiti. I think that what they found is if they give you, you know, if the city or whomever gives you, uh, like there's a place called the Fabrication Yard up in Dallas, which is like two blocks mm -hmm. full of just these old warehouse buildings that are abandoned. You know, if they give you space to paint, that maybe you won't be out here painting the streets or painting this or painting that. Um, so whether it works or whether it doesn't, I don't know, but there's some just there's some amazing talented artists out there right now. A lot of stuff coming from Europe too, uh, like 3D, really? yeah, 3D effect. Uh, and it, it actually, what's really cool too is I'm start is we've started to see a lot more female graffiti artists painting as well. It used to be pretty much a sausage fest, and nowadays you've got not only do you have more are women painting and becoming graffiti writers and, and putting up their work, but just some really amazing stuff. There's a, I invite you to check out a, a, an artist named Mad C. Uh, I think she, Mad C. Mad C. I think she paints out of Germany, but her work, it's because it C isn't like the letters. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie. Um, yeah. And uh, her work just, it's, it's kind of a fused combination of graffiti with some abstract uh, sort of designs uh, graphic design type work and so forth but the, the the mix that she makes is just absolutely mind-blowing and she's become really well known highly sought after for advertising and so forth over there and um Dude, that's that's a good thing that's happened also in the like the contemporary art scene in the fine art community and amongst painters all around because i mean i was reading uh 
I'm reading this book about the Italian Renaissance now, mm-hmm. and um, like they wouldn't let women into the guilds, mm-hmm. and so you know, like they like women literally were not allowed to be a painter. <laughs> it's like they couldn't even give it a shot, and so yeah. like, there could have been all sorts of untapped geniuses that was all around that had the potential to create you know stuff yeah. alongside of all of the great artists that were there and um you know they just didn't really like th- the system was set up to where they, they couldn't even go in there and uh and so but then you as you start to go farther into history the baroque artist you'll start to see mm-hmm. some female baroque artists and then you'll see women that are um doing stuff in the more pop art scene and and then like and then now we're in the contemporary art scene and a lot of the some of the greatest artists in the world are are women artists and so yeah absolutely like uh so that's that's nice that it's not a sausage fest anymore. I mean, uh, it, and I don't want to say that it was a systemic thing. I mean, I don't think it was ever really uh, made to be a boys club. You just didn't. Uh, there were a few female graffiti artists. Uh, probably the most best known is Lady Pink. Um, you know, back mm-hmm. in the early days of gra- of graffiti art or what we call contemporary graffiti art. Um, so there were women painting out there. It's just you didn't see it as much. And I don't think it was through any uh, nefarious. Um, you know what you call it, like guilds or anything keeping them out it was just yeah they, it, they didn't seem to gravitate towards it and nowadays i think with the the sort of the evolution of graffiti and and um styles really melting uh you know more characters more graphic design elements um you know things like portrait work or mural work combined with some graffiti lettering and so forth uh that you see a lot uh, a lot more diversity in the people that are actually painting graffiti art uh in doing graffiti mural work and so forth that you did back then yeah yeah man that that's so weird because like the guilds obviously didn't have it figured out because they were just kind of the guilds kind of like sprung up independently in all the like the little city states in, in rome and in italy and so they would just kind of like be like okay it would be like the carpenters guild and all the carpenters yeah. would get together and like let's let's set our prices let's do this let's make sure everybody has high quality work anybody that has shit quality that we're not gonna let them sell uh, work in this city and but that would do great things for like tourism and and yeah. commerce because the the italians they would they would find ways to like that everybody want to travel there to go get that top quality stuff because they knew that the guilds would keep it top quality but even i think now so, they like, call them labor unions <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah but they had so the painters were in the same guild as the doctor and because they didn't have a painter's guild in the early renaissance and they're like well, the doctors crush up their medicines to give to the patients and the painters crush up their pigments to put on the wall. So they're pretty much the same Makes thing. Makes sense to me. It's like, okay, yeah, good job, guys. You got it really figured out. <laughs> yeah, there's no doctor around for the bloodletting. Hey, where's our where's our closest painter? We need a bloodletting. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. So we've come a long way since, the, since then. Gotta hope so. And so, yeah. So what's some ways that, like, I'm not talking about taggers or the people who are spray painting shit because um, I don't really, uh, you know, I'm not really curious about how they make a living, but I'm wondering about the graffiti artists, mm-hmm. the people who take time to master their craft, the people who learn how to work the spray can, they know how to pull the lines, they know how to get the blends, they know how to get the colors. They could they could envision something on a wall and then they could bring it to life and bring it to life with style. Yeah. How does someone like that, what ways do they go and earn income? Well, I, I think it's a mix of things. I think there's a lot of very talented graffiti writers out there that are still working day jobs that haven't been able mm-hmm. to uh, to get to that next level where they're able to sell their work. Um, I, I do photography. My my living is, is done through photography. Um, my girlfriend and I own a photography company. Um, so 
I, I will do commission pieces. I can sell pieces. I can do mural work and so forth. But to be able to get to that point, um, I think that you have to sort of, it's a mix of being in the right place at the right time. It's a mix of being able to, uh, to make those connections, to, to be able to take the time to go out into the community, make those connections and so forth, which is hard to do on a nine to five. Um, you know, and, and when I was younger, I had, you know, I've got two kids. So I was back, I was going back and forth between the working thing, the kids thing, my obligations at home versus me wanting to go out and paint. So, you know, it's a struggle to find that. But um, I think it's just about uh, being, marketing yourself as much as you can grassroots. Um, you know, going out to farmers markets or markets, crafts markets, uh, getting your art out there, going on the internet, especially selling your art through. I mean, now there's how many art sites are there out there that you can sell art through? Now they take a big cut, but it's a way to get your art out there to people that can buy at the masses and so forth. Uh, through stickers that you sell, through merchandise and, and, and so forth. You see a lot of graffiti artists like I, myself, I sell stickers and, and so forth. So you, it's just trying to get your name out there, getting as well known as you can, getting, you know, to be a good artist. Because first you have to be good. Uh, and then you have to bring something to the table that either nobody's seen before or that they find value in that can be monetized. So uh, a lot of the stuff that I get uh, personally is, is going to be businesses. Um, I get I got an offer from a, uh, a, a, a large kind of fried chicken chain here in Austin to design some shirts for them for ACL Fest, which is Austin City Limits Music Fest, uh, to design some shirts mm -hmm. for them. So you know they, they heard about me or they knew somebody that worked for them that knew about me they checked out my work they like my work in the heart could be a business that just wants a mural on the side of the business to to garner more traffic and so forth so you know if you can get out there let people know you're out there they can see your work if it's good they'll hire you and so forth so it's just trying to be lucky honestly <laughs> Yeah. yeah, right place, so right you time. You did tattoos though too, right? So I don't do tattoo work. I've done some uh I'm covered in tattoos. Uh, I've done some tattoo design work in the past in, in some commission graffiti work for tattoos, like people that want a graffiti lettering as a tattoo and so forth, but I don't do actual tattoos. Oh, okay. That's what I was curious about. I've worked, I started off as a tattoo artist before I was a painter. Dope. And, uh, and the thing that was hard about the tattooing is that it's like very closed off. You know, it's like they'll keep all of their industry secrets kind of like hidden up and you have to be the shop bitch <laughs> yeah work like your two, way up before like two years and they'll start to unlock some of the secrets as you uh you know level up in the shop and uh, i was like man i just want to learn you know like i want to get drawing already and mm -hmm. that just wasn't happening and then when we found when i found painting like because i was doing tattoos for a while and like i was just having trouble getting these guys to give me tips yeah and techniques and i was like come on like you know tell me how, how do you do that part there and like oh you're not ready for it yet i'm like I think there's a mean? value you know, to that, though. I mean, had, did you find the value to that after you got into um, it? No, I mean, I quit tattooing. Oh, you just I mean, said, I have my it. tattoo equipment. Yeah, I mean, I, tat I tattooed my friends, and, I, and like, you know, like I still have people every once in a while that are like, you know, that I'll go do tattoos for just because like I have a good relationship with them and like they give me lots of creative freedom. But yeah, once I found painting, I was like, I actually, I was so all in on painting. I sold my car because I knew I wasn't going to make money at first. And I was like, I had a Toyota Prius. I'm like, I'm selling this Prius. I got $8,000 for it. I'm like, that should cover the bill. You bills did yourself so a favor. I've driven one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm six four too, so I didn't Ooh. fit in there very well. Yeah. So I was like, uh, it was an easy decision. It was an easy decision. But after that, I was like, 
I know this will cover the bills until I figure out how to make money as a painter. Yeah. But there was something about being able to learn at your own pace because for hundreds of years, people have recorded all of how you do this, how you do that. There's so many books on it. The information is so like so readily available. That's why I thought it was so cool that you went and read a book and that inspired you because that was very similar to me with painting. Well, it's before the like, internet too. Reading. And actually a lot of the early graffiti artists, that's how it was done. You had somebody, you know, that was, uh, what we call like a king or somebody that was a good uh, a good artist and so you know a kid that was kind of coming up so you would mentor that kid teach him some stuff he'd go out and paint with you he got better um that same thing with the tattoo industry i actually think there's value in that i know a lot of uh, apprentice tattoo artists and so forth might disagree with me but i think there's a lot of value in that two or so years you put in as a shop bitch a you're around the clientele you learn the intricacies of how the shop works uh you know uh personalities and so forth, how to deal with, with irate customers or pissed off tattoo. Um, and you, it, and there's value you get from that tattoo or teaching you stuff, like you're earning your space. And it's also a way for them to sort of uh, weed out those that aren't going to be there long-term or want to uh, legit have the burn desire to do that. So there's actually yeah. an old story. Uh, I won't bore you real quick, but there's actually an old story. Um, I don't know what you call it, but it, in uh, the whole Kung Fu thing. So there's a master that, and a pupil that wants to learn Kung Fu. And the Kung Fu uh, master fills up a bucket of water and tells the apprentice, punch this bucket of water until the water is gone. So the apprentice does it. Master fills it up again. Apprentice does it again. Throughout this, it goes over the course of a year. Every day, the master filling up 10 uh, 10 to 12 buckets of water, the pupil punching the water out of there. One day the pupil says to the master, like, why am I doing this? This makes no sense. I want to learn Kung Fu. Get, That's a good and, question. <laughs> and the pupil gets so, so angry, so pissed off that he punches down on the table, completely shatters the table and breaks it in half. And I think that you don't see the value of it um, in the moment, but when you can kind of like myself, take a step back, in your 40s look back at the times i had to put in doing the grunt work the shit work uh you know maybe standing at a wall for eight hours sweating my ass off watching somebody else paint to learn something you see the value in that so whatever it's worth that's my thoughts on it yeah dude that evan that really does make sense you know it makes sense that they would want to you know like especially learning the tricks of the trade learning how learning the environment of a tattoo shop learning how to do all that the part that I don't really quite get is the withholding of information. And I think that's like where they won't tell you something because they don't want you to go practicing on your own. They want, you know, they want you to do it like a certain way and they want you to, you know, like pay homage in a certain way before the information is unlocked as yeah. opposed to like, Hey, we're going to freely give you anything, anything that you ask, we'll freely ask. We're transparent over here about our process. You know, if you don't understand it now, that's fine. You can explain it. Well, you know, you'll understand it later on as opposed to saying, oh, you're not going to get that. Is that yet. saying, is that them saying that, that they want you to learn that. the basics before they teach you something more advanced? Is that what they're doing? Um, yeah, there was a lot, there was a lot of that. A lot of like, uh, you know, like you haven't done enough reps to, to know about that yet. Mm -hmm. Or like, you know, like there was a lot of that going in. And then that's the thing that I didn't get from painting is that like, well, first off, it's easier to practice because you, you know, you, because like skin, tattooing on skin, or like fake skin is different than tattooing on real yeah. skin. Fake skin does a kind of good job, but it just doesn't stretch out. Like, you know, regular skin has so much stretch and give and like that is really unforgiving. And so it's like, 
it's kind of hard to get your practice in unless you're actually there at the shop practicing, you know, under the supervision. And so, but with painting, um, if you mess up yeah. on a canvas, who gives a fuck? Just paint over it, throw it away, burn it, do whatever to it. And you, you just go again. And so there was this like, bang, 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 one after the other, one after the other and put, and like get in those reps fast where yeah. it's like, you know, why, why should I have to wait so long to move on to the next exercise? Why can't I just do 10 reps right now and move on to the next one tomorrow, as opposed to like other people like, oh, normally this takes six months. So we're not going to let you read that until six months in. I was like, man, let me do that six months in the first month and then like move on to the six month period at two months and, and painting. Whenever I found that, I was like, there's no one telling me I can't like read an extra three books on the topic. Yeah. Today. There's no one telling me I can't do that. And at the shop, but there's no one teaching you anything. Like there's time. no one teaching you anything either. You're going out and you're learning it yourself in that shop environment. Someone's teaching you, they're giving you their time. That's what you're earning their time because they've been doing it for so long. It's the same way with graffiti. Um, you know, you, we always said, look, don't start at wild style, start with bubble letters, start with block letters, learn from there, and then sort of go into wild style where you get more elaborate and so forth, because you're not going to start at the top and be good. You got to put in the basics, build the foundation, build the house on top of that. So, yeah, yeah. The, the internet really has just changed the game up so much because now, man, like, cause I think I was like maybe 10 years ago whenever I was trying to start tattooing. And so like now there's access to information online and I'll see some kids and I, and I know like some of the, some of the, some of the shops where I was like trying to get an apprenticeship at and there's kids that have been tattooing for like six months now yeah, and they're just blowing those people's work really? out of the water. Like just like, cause it's because they could learn then and they could learn like, cause th they have the access to the information. And so that's one of the things that I think that the internet is like, like you said, you had to have a book in order to see that, in order to see that New York style yeah. work. And, um, or else you either had to have a book or you had to go to New York. And even so you would have to have someone tell you where all the walls are at yep. and tell you how to get there and yeah. all that. But someone photographed them, curated and put them out there. Now there's all different types of tools and it's just getting faster and faster and faster. And, uh, I think, I think it's like, optimistic. I, yeah, really, I think there's always going to be something to be said for people that just have an absolute burning desire or passion for what they do. You know, um, my dad always said, uh, I might not be the smartest person in the room, but I'll be damned if you outwork me. Um, I think there's also going to be, you know, something to be said for people that just have that sort of natural gifted talent, you know, whatever you might call it. Um, what's the word for it? Like uh, prodigy. Like somebody that's a prodigy, yeah. you know, not everyone that picks up a trumpet is going to be Chet Baker. Not everyone that picks up a saxophone is going to be, um, you know, uh, uh, pick your best jazz artist or whatever, you know. Um, there's something to be said for that, but most of us are going to just have to put in the time and so forth. The funny thing you were saying, though, made me think of it. Uh, every tattoo artist I know, ask them to pull their legs up on their shorts and their like thighs are just covered with awful tattoos where they were practicing on themselves. So everyone's yeah, got to start buddy. somewhere. I'm I'm not an exception to that no. rule. I got some tattoos on my leg. Yeah, too, it's man. wherever you could reach. I, got, I tried. Yeah, wherever you could reach. I tried them on the arm, but that the stretchiness of the skin messed it up. You know, it's like it's not. It's it's easier to tattoo your own leg yeah. and just do it upside down than to try to do your arm because. Uh, the skin just don't stretch out right. It's an unforgiving medium, man. It's a, 
I, I don't miss tattooing so much. And that was one of the things that, that the, the artist would say, you know, like, we don't, and, and it was like, we don't want someone in here who's like half in, like, we want someone yeah. who's all in, like, you know, and, and I think that also that's, that was one of the things that was weird about it is that like, why couldn't I want to go be this artist and this artist at the same time? Like be a, be a, like, if I wanted to go learn graffiti, why shouldn't I be allowed to go learn graffiti simultaneously? You know, like, why do we have to be all in on one medium? And I think that that is, is starting to change in the world. And like you said, even with the graffiti artists, I mean, there's graffiti artists who are street artists, who are pop artists, who are contemporary artists, who are, I mean, now we're entering into this post-digital age where like there's going to be conceptual works and things digitally that is blending with the street art and the graffiti art in new ways that, you know, are is going to unfold in the next couple years. We don't even know what that's going to yeah. look like. And so I think it's going to be that the, the amount of mediums that the artist is able to work in is going to be freeing and people are be able to work in whatever medium they want and that it'll all kind of go back into that big picture of just like contemporary art, post-digital art. It does. Every, Whenever people yeah. in this Everybody age. absorbs what they see around them and takes in what they think is a value and discards what they think isn't. And, you know, artists, musicians, actors, whomever that, that, does, that you know, does something artistic, um, right? Even, I guess everybody as a human being does that in some, to some extent. But, you know, you take in what you see as value. And if, when it comes to art, you know, I might see something that, you know what we call a toy or somebody just starting out did the lettering's crap but the way they mix their colors like hey that's a really cool color combination maybe i can incorporate that you know you never know what you're going to find value in or what what you know might do that and i think as a community you spur creativity you know even if you want to you want to get better but you also somewhat want to say hey i want to take that and get better and i've learned from this person this person's learning from me i think that's a really cool aspect of of graffiti the graffiti subculture as well. Have you ever heard of the book Steal Like an Artist? No. Oh, I think it's uh, Austin Cleon <laughs> who wrote it. It's a, it's a, it's just, it's a short book. It's, it's not one that's. I don't necessarily think it's one that you write, read in order. It's just kind of like one of those ones where you just kind of open up. It's got like little quotes and stuff on it. But it's about creativity, and he was talking like creativity and about stealing ideas. And he's like, you know, it's plagiarism if you just take someone's idea. And you copy, yeah. But it's not plagiarism if you say, "Oh, I like what that person did, and what that person did, and I like what this person did." And so I'm gonna take a little bit of all of them and I'm gonna create them to do my own style. That's stealing like an artist, because then you have you have to learn everything that came before yeah. you and learn how all the how to, and then you can put the pieces together in a new. Yeah, like obey. Like and, who, um, who who sat down and said, "Hey, I think Andre the Giant would be a great subject for a silhouette piece," and I'm just gonna put my name Obey next to it, <laughs> and it. It's took off like wildfire. Like on every the next thing you know, every like street pole in town has a sticker of Andre the Giant on it. Like, yeah, absolutely. It's it's. Was that a graffiti artist who had? Okay. Ah, uh, you know, I don't know. That was it. Was that someone's he's, name? He's more of like a a pop artist. Yeah, I, I'm trying to remember his real That's name, true. but uh, he's he's more well known. Yeah, but kind of more of like a, a pop style graphic design graphic artist like uh, Shepard Fairey. So now that you're a lot older than whenever you first started off and you've had 25 years experience with it, what inspires you to keep making the art? Now? Uh, just a passion to do it. I, I love the art form itself. And I think it's, I, I don't think that we respect 
um, I think graffiti, graffiti is a type of calligraphy, and I don't think we respect it as much here in the States as they do in, in the Far East and so forth, where it's actually considered an art form. I think there's, you always want to strive to be better. Um, I can do other art forms. I've done other art forms. I've done some fine art work. I can, you know, I, I've done, you know, black and white pencil work. I've done all sorts of stuff. But there's something about graffiti, the medium itself, the reasoning behind it, you know, to get your name out there to kind of become well known. I mean, I can't tell you how many and very talented artists, but I can't tell you how many uh, portraits I see, you know, at any given art show, you know, and a lot of it nowadays is there's, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's very hip to do abstract work. So, you know, you'll go through an art show and there must be 60 abstract portraits of a crying woman, you know? Okay. I, I think it's beautiful. I think if that's what you want to paint, Hey, go for it. But you know, what, what are you really adding that's different to the mix? Is it your style? If your style is different, Hey, I could totally see that. If it, is it the color pad, you know, palette that you use? Okay. That no one else is doing that. I can see that as being unique. I think graffiti is sort of that way is that um, if you're unique, if you're good, um, if you know, you incorporate what you see in, in to continue to get better, then I think that you're adding value to that community and so forth. And that's what I like. You know, I like people seeing my work and being, hey, man, I saw the last piece you did. That was awesome. Um, I like, you know, meeting younger artists that come up and say, hey, I've been a fan of your work, you know, for the last 10 or 15 years. I really love how you do your style and so forth. Um, hey, no problem, man. Is there anything I can show you or something? Um, I love getting my name out there and so forth. Maybe that's a bit arrogant. I don't know. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I just love the art form. I love getting better. You know, I don't see, I don't foresee a time in it. It's cathartic for me as well, which I think most artists do it for that cathartic aspect as well. You know, I think a lot of us have uh, personal demons. I don't know what it is with artists that seem to have like uh, depression in their background or, or mental issues or who knows what, but I think maybe in some way it's a, a cathartic release for us. And uh, you know, for all those reasons, I enjoy doing it. It's a, yeah. It, it's a weird thing because it's like, there's something that doesn't exist that I want to exist. And so I'm going to have, and to you made it out of nothing. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's uh and there's a, like a weird urge because why not? And, and there's different, you know, like people have different uh, ways of, of addressing that problem. And some people is, is a lot less creative and expressive as art. Maybe some people it's like, Oh, something needs fixed and it's more engineer or more mathematical mm -hmm. or more like that. And so they'll go into that route. And, but they're still using creativity, but artists, it's a, it's a little bit different because a lot of it is tied to beauty. A lot of it isn't tied to aesthetics. A lot of it is tied to personal expression. Yeah. A lot of it's tied to wanting to do better work and wanting to have more skill. And I think that's something is like, we want to feel like we're growing and we want to feel like that, that like something like we're not like wasting and withering away. Yeah. And I feel like that growth, it keeps you young and it keeps you excited about life and it makes you it makes you love whatever it is that you do is that the fact that you could keep exploring it and you keep improving in all different ways. And you don't know what ways that could leak over into the rest of your life of, Hey, I'm improving this area. Maybe I'm improving in other areas. I think there's too. as much value. I learned discipline. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, if you learn the discipline, if you could get discipline down in this art form, then you could have discipline for the rest mm -hmm. of your life. And so you don't like it could those little lessons that you learn from dedicating so much time to doing something well 
goes over so far uh, into the rest of your life where it's almost impossible to tell where one begins and ends. And that's what that's what art did for me. I mean, it it really changed my life and and the fact that I could go and work on something and then say, oh, I like this part, but I would like this part to be better. And then you do that, and then you could measure your progress, and you have a feel like, and you would feel like I have a sense of accomplishment. And like, oh, well, now I did something with yeah. my day. I can relax. I wasn't a total bum all day, you know? And that's nice to look back and see, like, oh, I did something. And I think that that's something that, uh, especially kids who have that feeling that, you know, like, to see other people doing it who are older and let them know, like, hey, there's a lot of people like this, you know, and it's cool to go out and uh, to to be able to show that you could actually get better at it. And so don't worry, you get too beat up because your stuff doesn't look as good as the master yeah. right now, because you'll get not every kid's going to be a football player. Around. Not every kid's going to be, you know, good at making music or whatever. I mean, some people are skilled in different ways. And I think a lot of art, um, there are a lot of people that I think are too quick to say, well, you're not curing cancer. Well, yeah, but when that doctor that oncologist goes home at night to decompress he's listening to you know uh to, to music that he really likes created by an artist he's staring at a painting that's in his house that makes him feel something that was created by an artist i don't think there's any reason to say it's any more or less valuable than anything anyone else does it's just different yeah i mean it's I think it's a sign of extreme value because it, it shows that you're past the point of having to worry about basic necessities and you could get to worry about making something beautiful. It's it's like form beyond function yeah. then. And if you look at some of like the most tourist attracted places in the world, it's areas that are very rich in art and very rich in culture because they took the time to be able to make something beautiful. I mean, God does a great job of making things beautiful on their own accord, but us humans, when we build a house, it starts to fall apart in a couple of years if we don't take care of it, yeah. you know? And then after so long, it just gets taken back over. Things that we make fall apart. And so we have to do something to make them more beautiful in order to like, and I think that's what, that's what one of the greatest values that you could add to a place is to show like, hey, the function is all right here, but goddamn it's ugly <laughs> as hell. Let's fix this place up, you know, let's make it better. And I think that's, uh, that was at least one of my inspirations behind it, behind like the whole, like, you know, like you said, the people have problems and they're like, man, there's ugly things in the world. Let's try to fix that. Yeah, I think trying tr finding beauty in the world, I think is important. I think there's too many people that strive for the almighty dollar and, and, and don't stop to see the beauty that's around them. And I think it's unfortunate. Um, you know, it's funny. We just got back from two weeks in Ireland and um, we're going mm -hmm. through our photos and almost all the photos are of like old churches and stuff or architecture or murals or, or things like that. So yeah, I think that there's a lot to be said for art being, you know, more than just an aesthetic for aesthetic sake. Uh, you know, there's a passion there. There's um, it evokes, uh, you know, feelings, uh, memories, good or bad. Um, you know, the, the Catholic Church didn't just decide to paint frescoes on the top of the church ceilings for the hell of it. You know, it was there to inspire the masses to, I think, they, to, to bring people into the church and so forth. To make it grander than it is yeah. but there's a reason they chose art for that instead of i don't know jim jones kool-aids or something <laughs> yeah yeah i mean but the one of the so i mean i could i can't really can't imagine i'm a really big art history mm -hmm. nerd and so i can't imagine what happens when these peasants they travel and they live in this you know very humble little setting they have a rough life 
Life is hard. Even the kings don't have running water. And they go step into this building, this masterfully crafted architecture, buildings that we can't make today, that they don't know how to make today, that they would take 300 years yeah. to build. Like the vision of saying, I'm going to work on this and my great-grandchildren are going to finish it for me. That just doesn't make sense that, that people could attach themselves to a vision that long. And they would put so much effort and love and care into this building and they would have it aligned with the stars and the moon and the sun and they would have it aligned with the with the way that the the age was and the the um the way that the sun would rise with like certain constellations they would have everything planned out to a t and then the, the peasants would step in there and it would hit them from like sound they would have the the way the yeah, sound the would come up across the rafters and come hit them on top of the head they would hit these peasants with like light the color would be shining through the stained glass and then you'd have all the the colorful paintings so you'd have all these different forms and uh and like these effects that would happen to him, it must have blown their fucking minds, Yeah, it was minds, like the Pink man. Floyd laser show of the day, yeah. Yes, I mean, it must have like just, how could you not think that there was something like greater whenever you live in such a tiny little, uh, like a, such a humble little environment and then you go see something so grand and you're like, well, these people are doing, they're saying this is a, this is a, a representation yeah. of, of something that resembles something that could be divine. And then it's like, wow. That like I think yeah. that where old that's what makes old churches just so beautiful is that like people don't make stuff like that anymore. They're not so connected to uh, a desire to. It's like they think that there's a, a holy essence from a source from which we come, and they're trying to make something that that embodies that. Um, and yeah, sure, it's gone corrupt as hell multiple times, and you know it shows how flawed we are and how. But I think it's it says something that they tried and that they made it beautiful because the beauty just sticks around for, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years, sometimes even thousands, yeah. and where people could not even know the story of what the people in there were talking about. They could just see it and go, wow, that's yeah, amazing. Whatever the reasoning you know? the church had behind it, there's definitely, you walk into that and you're just dumbstruck at how beautiful something like that is. You know, you look at a Caravaggio and you may or may not know the depiction uh, or the story behind the depiction or whatever but you can recognize the beautiful brush strokes the uh the beautiful melding of colors and so forth you it's i think art is just so transcendent it's so universal um you know there are people that like dogs playing poker hey if that's what they like that's what they like I, you know i'm not i think you know uh, we're talking about tattoos I've been in so many tattoo shops. Cause I'm I'm covered in tattoos. Like, you know, I've got them all over my chest, back, everything. And uh, <laughs> I've been in so many tattoo shops. And you know, I'll be next to somebody, you know, also getting tattooed, and they'll just like be dissing someone's idea that might have come in or something. They'll be like, "Oh, dude, a fucking lower back barbed wire tattoo or some shit." Oh god, that's so lame. Come to find out, you know, maybe hey, that person's grandfather that was so dear to them passed away and he was a you know a fence man his entire life you really don't know but it's not your place to judge whether someone else likes this or someone else like that you know i'm not a big fan of jackson pollock i'm not going to spend tens of millions of dollars for one of his paintings i can appreciate what he did but it's not for me and that's okay so other people really love his work so you know it's yeah, it's hard. It's I think it's hard sometimes though, to not especially because whenever like for me I judge my own work, and so and then I work with other artists, and so like part of my job is judging their work and helping them get it to be a certain quality. Especially if like 
someone's paying us to make this right. look a certain way. We have to make it look a certain way. So we have to be very critical about like, um, how do we want this to look for our overall portfolio and stuff? And so it's hard to turn that off sometimes and to just accept other people's ideas for what they are, as opposed to like, oh, but they should have done this with it. Yeah. And they should have done that with it, you know? And, and it is, it's something that I think for me, it takes a little bit of practice to like, you know, look at someone's work. Cause I mean, a lot of times I've been proven wrong. And I love getting proven wrong whenever I think this artist sucks. And then I f learn a little bit about them. And I'm like, oh damn, I was way off. You know, like, like I didn't see all the genius that was lied there. I mean, that happened to me with like, Picasso was yeah. one of them. There were so many different artists, but that was the one that first like one that comes to mind is like, like uh, you look at his later stuff yes. and you're like, what like card? What is this? Like what? paper mache stuff. And, but you look at his early work, you're like, Oh yeah. Okay. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. So the last question, one of the last questions I have is a person is attracted to graffiti mm -hmm. and they want to give it a try as a graffiti artist who's experienced, been there, done that with a graffiti. What would you recommend to someone? Who's like, doesn't really know a whole lot about it. Wants to give it, it a try. Uh, I would say um, there's a couple ways to go about it. One is if there's like a decent graffiti, you know, scene in your town or whatever. Uh, let's say that there's uh, a place where there's a really cool mural, or let's say you know of a place where people paint. Stop by there, uh, talk to that shop owner, ask them who painted that, um, and see if you can get his Instagram. Uh, you know, most shop owners will tell you, "Oh yeah, it was painted by so and so." Um, you know, or stop by those walls. Uh, maybe you'll run into a couple artists. That's how we used to do it back in the days. We'd be down at, you know, a wall and all of a sudden a couple people would walk there because they heard about the wall from somebody else. They'd walk in and you'd meet that person. And I've met people that way from, you know, other cities, uh, Albuquerque, um, all over the U.S. and so forth. So that's one avenue. Uh, go out, seek it, find it. Go on Instagram, do a search, see who's in your area, start a conversation. The other is uh, get the books, um, get some of the books, learn the basics. Um, even if it's just sitting down with tracing paper, tracing over what somebody else did, you'll start to learn kind of how the letters intertwine together. Um, flourishes you can add to the letters and build on top of that to the point where you're no longer tracing over paper. You're actually sitting there drawing something yourself, like you said, out of nothing. Um, so those are what I'd probably recommend doing. That's yeah, that's great advice. That that's what I would recommend to someone if they want to learn how to paint pictures is just I got a question for you. Find someone who's as a fellow like, artist. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah. Are you ever happy with your work? hundred percent happy with the work you do? Um so yeah, I mean, yes. Often I am a hundred percent happy with it. Um, but I've had some works drive me crazy in the process because I couldn't let go of especially if it's a work where I'm taking pictures yeah. of the progress and there's something that happened at an earlier stage that kind of had to get covered up to simplify the image or make the painting better as a whole and getting really attached to how it once was. And like, no one's ever going to see this awesome yeah. part of it. You know, like that part really drives me crazy sometimes because there'll be times where I've spent upwards of like, you know, over a month on a piece on one painting, like, and then there's one little part that I really love that it just doesn't work with the rest. I'm like, no one's yeah. ever going to see that that has to get covered up. And then covering or like making a change and then it not like quite going the direction I wanted to and then trying to bring it back to what it was before and it doesn't look the same then. And it's like, oh no. And then if you do anything else, you're just overworking it at that point. So that happens a lot. But, um, and, and then also if I don't like the work, 
sometimes I'll do like periodically, I'll go through back through the work. And if I'm like, do I really love this? And if I don't like it, I'll just grab all those paintings and burn them. Wow. Okay. That's extreme. But yeah, every artist I know is like, is is somewhat (laughs) of a perfectionist. It's like for, for years and years, like you can see some of my work in the background, but for years and years, I didn't hang up my own work at all because every time I walk by, I see something I should have done differently. And uh, I remember an interview uh, Madonna gave one time and uh, she said there might be 50,000 screaming happy fans, but I'll remember the one person in the audience I saw that wasn't happy, you know? So I think that is so just like that. Too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'll have, I'll do a mural for public in a city and like, you know, the city, maybe the local government will make a Facebook post and everyone in the city is like, Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. I'm like, Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And then the one person's like, yeah, but it kind of looks like every other painter that I've yeah. ever seen in the last 10 years or something. And it's like, that's the one I remember when Fucking I go to bed. Asshole. I'm like, you fucker. Yeah, you ruined, ruined it for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I mean, it's just something that uh, I guess over time, maybe uh, someone develops thick skin whenever people talk shit about their work. I mean, it's hard too, because on the internet, you can't really like judge what's happening with the other person in their life. Um, you know, most people don't really say rude stuff about your art to your face unless unless you know maybe you're friends and you're cool like that and you guys can sure. make jokes and stuff that you know that's one thing but yeah the perfectionism in the art i think that there is something about I, over the years i have learned to enjoy surprises and so i used to like i want the line to be yeah. this way and i and then it's like the line didn't go that way the line didn't go that way the line didn't go that way oh i finally got the line to go that way but then after going back and looking at all those study drawings, I'm like, wait, what happened when I did this line here that I almost yeah. threw away that paper? There's actually something interesting there. Let me go explore that. And then so now I've, I've, I, like, I've developed enough of, like, I would say, like a, a hierarchy of values of like what would need to be in a piece to be considered good to where I think that there is enough freedom to where it's like now maybe the brushstroke might be off but the composition is fine. So I'll just let that go. And that'll be the uniqueness of that piece. Like I'll let that be the mistake. Cause I used to be like every single brushstroke had to be exactly yeah. how I wanted it to be. And now, and now I think more in terms of just like composition and doing the stuff. I think that's one of the so ultimate like, maturities yeah. of an artist is when you can actually look at the imperfections and say, you're okay with it. You may not be happy with it, but you can look at those imperfections and say, it's okay. You know, I can't tell you how many times I'll work on a piece and I'll make a really cool letter design or something and I'll just erase it completely because it doesn't work with the overall flow of the piece. You know, a letter design that, you know, somebody learning would be would love to be able to 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 do. But yeah, I just asked that because I'm the same yeah, way. So that's dude, absolutely. And that's something that the viewer, they don't know how yeah. you pictured it. They know how you drew it. And so they may have like amazing experience with how you drew it and you have this idea of it could have been better but they think this is cool yeah how it is now. And that's the, they don't know the journey and, and to so, get there either like yeah 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 and so i think there's something about like being able to be the viewer of your own work too and not like not like the creator the critic the viewer the enjoyer and you know not necessarily be just the the creator of the work but I mean, I think that's sad if it, whenever artists can't enjoy their work. Um, I think that, you know, like, I, I think that the artist should have the privilege to 
yeah. love what they do and and they should get to where it's like like i don't know like that feeling of like detachment from like control over everything maybe something drip there accidentally and be like okay do i really have time to cover up every single drip i've ever made yeah. in my entire life probably not i'll make a lot less paintings and so finding that happy medium of, of where you feel comfortable with i think there's a point of like letting go of expectations that um that i wonder very free, if monet ever me, sat down looked at one of his paintings and said man these lilies look like shit. <laughs> Well, that was the weird thing about Matisse was like, because whenever I'll see a Matisse in a, a museum and, I, and it'll be like, it took him three months or six months to paint this. I'm like, what the fuck was he trying yeah. to decide there? I mean, it looks like, and, and, and I, I don't, I'm not really quite getting what's going on there. Um, and, uh, and so there is something about some artists could sit away and fiddle away with like the most minute, oh, should I move this line here or here? And they'll just go back and forth until it's just exactly how they like it. But sometimes they enjoy that. And it's like, that's what they love to do. They love to like get that line exactly how it is. And it's like, hey, like we were talking about Jackson Pollock. Yeah, like Jackson looking at do. the painting going, mm, I got to I gotta get it right, just right here. You know, it's like, I, but on art, I, I think if you're not your biggest critic, then maybe you should go do something else. At least that's my personal opinion. Most artists I know are the biggest critics. Hey. Yeah. And uh, I think the people who are hard on their work, um, maybe not like overly critical or like, I don't, I don't necessarily mean talk down on themselves, but the people who like hold themselves to a high standard, yeah. it shows. And you could tell, you could tell, I, and, and I could tell people who, and I, there are people who, who I could tell they do it for money. And, um, some people do it for money and they're very good at it. Some people do it for money and they'll underbid other people. And we've had that happen lots of times where someone will hit us up. Hey, I love you. Yeah. Could you do this? We'll give them a price. Someone could do that one tenth, yeah. and they'll do it. And they'll cut, they'll be using craft paint on an outside building. I'm like, you guys are, they're using 50 cent paint from Walmart. We're using, it's probably water-based like too. Yeah. dollars a can. What we're, yeah. Yeah. And then I'll see people literally cut corners. They won't even paint in the corner of the building and they'll just leave it unpainted and stuff like that. It's like, okay, well you get what you pay for. You could see whenever someone really cares about their work and puts the love into it and holds themselves to a high standard. And then you could, you could kind of tell whenever someone was kind of half-assing it. But I think that's also one of the things too is whenever someone truly has the mastery, they could just nonchalant, yeah, tap, bang, come out, brushstroke, masterpiece, even their rough sketches. They could do a little, a doodle, a stick drawing, and it's perfect. You know, I think that's mastery is whenever someone could just do like a, a little quick sketch and it's like, dude, the gesture, yeah. the flow, everything was just right. Like, I'll never be the best graffiti artist out there. I'll never be the best. I want to be the best I can be. And I think that that's, it has taken me 25 years to get here. You know, I think that's also a maturity thing, but yeah. That's the healthiest goal to have, I think, is to be um, not the best in the world, but the best in the world of yeah. your version of, of whatever you want to do. Because at the end of it, how the fuck could you, there's so many overlaps and variations of like line quality, gradient, meaning, context, monetary value the number of people that liked it the number of the people that saw it there's some volume quantity quality there's so many different things you could measure how could you possibly ever determine the best of all time mm -hmm. uh you know it's fun to speculate but still whenever you're actually declaring someone i think it's kind of hard to make anything that's concrete and universal was like this person was obviously the best it's too subjective yeah. um and so yeah but the one thing you can do is you could always 
be better than who you were a couple years ago, who you were last year, yeah. and no more. And it's in the eye of the beholder. Everybody likes something different. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Evan, what's the best place for people to go see? Uh, your work? Instagram, it's at curse1512. Um, hit me up. Got questions. I love questions. And I love talking to people that don't know a lot about graffiti because they always have some of the best questions. And I love to to educate and stuff so yeah check out my work and i got stuff yes. i can sell and i'm actually working on the website so i have my website up had an issue with that but i'm going to be putting that back up and it should be uh curse one.com uh, but i'll be getting that up soon but hit me up on instagram okay if that's up we'll have the... okay we'll have the instagram and then if the website's up in time we'll have the website yeah, in the sounds good, man. as well all right curse one Evan Young, hey, I appreciate your time. I appreciate awesome. you talking with me. I appreciate you teaching me all this stuff about graffiti. You got yeah. my brain turning in all sorts of good ways. I learned so much new stuff. You filled in some gaps of my knowledge about that whole area. So I feel like I'm at stage one of learning that. I'm at the baby stage of uh, learning about it, but I got a lot more learned. I'm excited. I, I'm uh, Absolutely. I got to talk no, to great you, so questions, man. It. Happy to talk. All right. Yep. Well, Appreciate I'll see it, you later, man. Have a good one.